0: The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.
1: Destination, eat, drink. This week on the podcast, we talk wine from France, wine from Spain, and I get schooled on how to pronounce a wine region in Oregon. One of the ways that the tour companies have you remember that is they say, it's Willamette, I don't know if that helps. (laughs) Yeah, I won't forget that now. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.
0: Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with my amazing friend, Sondra Bernstein.
1: Finally, I'm getting some adjectives. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) hi, Bri. How you doing, Sandra? Good, good. Still sitting at the same place I was uh, last Monday, the Monday before, the Monday before, the Monday before.
0: Yep, yeah. And yeah. yeah. well, your your background looks good. You got everything yeah, straightened my, up. My
1: nice little office. Yeah. Um, I'm ex- I'm really excited. I had a really fun experience um, last week, and that was I was invited to speak to the students at Sonoma Valley High School. And I've known Jonathan actually, Chef Jonathan, for a while, who is in charge of the whole culinary department. I don't even know how many years, but I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Jonathan Beard, um, chef, teacher, probably um, counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, nurse, to all those kids. (laughs) Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So last week I got to um, Wendy Atkins who coordinates stuff and I've done with stuff with her before she asked me to come and speak to were they seniors or juniors,
2: Uh, mostly juniors and seniors
1: juniors they looked really young for juniors and seniors but uh, that's cuz i'm 60 and so everybody that's under like 40 looks young
0: that's <laughs> what happens sandra yeah we're, now we're, just to clarify were you speaking in person or were you doing this over know, zoom on
1: zoom on okay. zoom so the so, kids
0: are not in school they're 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 doing distance learning yeah okay um
1: but yeah we had a fun conversation it was interesting i i ramble and i'm gonna obviously ramble here today too but um this morning i got the nicest linkedin message from one of the parents who said um her daughter oh i should have kept it up her daughter really thanked me for her final um, really enjoyed it. And I'm like, Oh my God, that is so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> and then she's like, she really wants you to do ramen kits. And I'm like, Oh, h- how does she want me to do that? I have to look, I'll look it up and get the name for you. And, um, she's like, yeah, she wants the noodles here and the sides here. And, you know, and I said, well, do you know about noodle spring? And she's like, no. And Wait, she, but why said, was
0: she talking to you about noodles then?
1: Well, her daughter said, well, because I said Noodle Spring and she must have remembered the pop-ups from Sweet D. Uh, okay. And so I must not have communicated that Noodle Spring was happening or I didn't do it very memories, well. Their memories
2: are a little spotty. So what they remembered from the conversation.
1: Yeah. And they actually, they had like, they sent me like 20 some questions before and this.
0: That's what I was curious about. What sorts of questions were they asking?
1: everything from how I started, how I like being a chef, and then I got to answer that, how the name came. I I mean, I think I got some of the questions down.
2: Yeah, you did. They were, they were, There were a lot of questions and I tried to actually narrow it down, but they were such good questions because they weren't actually just about the restaurant necessarily. They were a lot about how Sandra became who she is, you know, what, what, what motivates her? How did she overcome problems and issues? And, and when, if she failed, how did she get back up? That, that was actually a fairly strong theme to their questions just about how to succeed and how to keep on trying when things are really hard. And it was a very, it, it was interesting that that at least that stuck out to me in those and it was hard mm-hmm. to narrow any of the questions down. So I just gave Sandra a whole list.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I figured I'd touch on most of it, just telling the story.
0: Well, and what is the name of the class? Like, what is the actual name of the, you know, and what's the curriculum?
2: It's not a fancy name. Um, the beginning classes are just called foods. And mm-hmm. I have five of those classes of 30 kids each. And then I have one advanced class, which is called culinary arts.
0: And is, and is it an elective?
2: It's an elective, yes.
0: Okay, so so if they weren't taking that, they would be taking music or something like that? Music or uh, art le- or woodshop or metal. Wow, you guys still have woodshop?
2: We do, yeah.
0: This is, okay, so this is amazing to me because you hear about sort of liberal arts programs disappearing at a lot of the schools and the fact that you have five classes with 30 kids in them each do, doing cooking is amazing and then and then wood shop too so it's actually they're they're learning trades I mean I remember home ec when I was a I think a freshman or sophomore in high school but it was just a it was half a semester right um and I and I don't even remember what we learned like I, I <laughs>
1: toast, had to make toast I think toast. they have, they have like a
0: living skills
2: class now which is I suppose comparable to that which is only a it's like a half a year or half a semester uh-huh. and they go into some other course but yeah it's a full-on um cooking program um i'm a little bit different probably than a lot of the other ones around the county we can talk about so
1: tell that. us how you got into it like were you I mean, did you like how I
2: got into into teaching?
1: Yeah, how you got like, were you a chef in a restaurant and then got into teaching, or you just decided you wanted to be a culinary teacher and you went right for it?
2: There was no decision about
1: it. It Oh, somebody said um, this is what you're doing.
2: No, it was just it was what it it was fate. I think it was fate. I have a pretty long history in food. I mean, I started, I, I kind of came up um, in my 20s in Berkeley. Um, I, I worked at Acme Bread Company for a long time. Yeah. I worked for Kermit Lynch for a long time. Yeah. Um, I the Probably the main restaurant that influenced me was The Beowulf. I worked there for quite a few years in Oakland with Michael Wild. Um, and then at some point in my cooking career, I got really tired of cooking and I went back to school. Um, And I got a degree, a master's degree in anthropology and education. Hmm. And then I got really tired of that because what I was really interested in, when I was in this advanced degree program, I still focused on food. Um, I used to hang out at the farmer's markets in New York City a lot (laughs) and um, I think that what I learned from my experience, I was at Columbia at um, Teachers College Mm -hmm. and what I came away from that with was really a love of, of food and the people and I wanted to stay in the business. So I left academia and went back into food and I opened a restaurant in Sebastopol called Lucy's. And I owned that restaurant for 10 years
1: Okay, wow, I remember that.
2: It's it I the the building where um Raman Gaijin is um now that was my building in Sebastopol.
1: Wow, interesting. Okay. Well, uh,
0: what kind of food? What what was like the style, the culinary style? Um okay, so
2: I think that the restaurant that influenced me the most when I was sort of a young chef and eating around the Bay Area a lot was Zuni's. and So when I had my own restaurant, I think it was sort of a combination of Chez Panisse and the Beowulf and Zuni's. And I had, um, I built a brick oven in the, the so I had two, lo- two locations. I started in a small location on Main Street in Sebastopol. And then, and it was a small narrow storefront it went back, and sort of the focal point was at the very back, which was the brick oven, mm-hmm. and the kitchen was a long, open kitchen, um, very small. I mean, everything—the wait station, the kitchen—everything was behind this long bar that went back towards the brick oven. And we cooked. It was when I started out. It was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, s- I think seven days a week. <laughs> we were also doing baked stuff and going to the farmers market. I think I probably slept there more often than not. Um, and um but it was the the food was anything we could put in the brick oven essentially anything we could make with fire this was back in
1: before people were doing that now
2: this is like i guess in 80s no i'm sorry 2007 around that 2000 i think
1: So in that space, like after you, it was 707?
2: I'm sorry, 2007 is when I sold it. Um, 97. 97.
1: That's when we opened, yeah.
2: Yeah. But was that, was it where
1: 707
2: was? No,
1: it was 707. Wasn't that... Steven Singer. Oh,
2: Steven Singer bought my yes. He did buy it, and and yes, he was. It was, yeah. He had a couple of different names and a couple of different iterations. He didn't last.
1: No, <laughs> but lost. he tried. He did. It's hard. And as,
2: far, as far as I know, he still owns the building. Oh, um, smart. Um, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so I started in a small location, and then I had a chance to buy the, um, the big brick. It's a big brick building. It was a clothing store at the time, and I bought it right tried it on the plaza. It totally reminded me of Zuni's, you know, in San Francisco. I think that's probably why I was attracted to it, and this would have been in, um, so probably around 2002, 2001, 2002 is when I bought that building and um, spent way too much money on it of course but reopened
0: and now wait at this point so this is two restaurants running also well, no so i
2: i i shut down the first one okay um so you moved it yeah i moved it exactly and so i reopened with two brick ovens still the open kitchen but a big open kitchen now and i had a full liquor license at that point point. and Ran it for five years. I had two kids during that time. Mm. And um, at some point, Steven Singer and Jonathan Waxman approached me. Mm-hmm. So this would have been in like um, 2007, 2006, something like that. And we're interested in buying it. And they were, I think, interested in the, I own, since I own the building, they were mostly interested in the building, I think. And so I thought about having a normal life again with my kids. And although, although I had a great life because my kids were growing up in the restaurant, it was really, it was, it was really wonderful actually. Um, and so we ended up selling it and I had no idea what I was gonna do. And I, I think that my mother-in-law at the time had, some connection with Kathy Burgett at the junior college or or somebody had mentioned to her or she had run into Kathy at the farmer's market or something and and I ended up applying for a job on um at the junior college in um, to the baking program and they and I was hired I was an emergency hire because somebody that they had had, had to leave in the middle of something so I was an emergency hire at the junior college and I Ended up teaching there.
1: Did you work with, um, with Chef Michael Salinger? He,
2: and- he was there, but I, I really didn't work with him much at all because I was working with Kathy. I was, it was, I was teaching all baking classes.
1: Okay, Andrew. I was, you know,
2: one of, the, one of the adjunct teachers. And so for two years, whenever they needed me, I'd get a call and I would teach a class. I wasn't on sort of the regular schedule. Okay. But that was my first introduction to teaching. And also, during that time, I think that um I was asked to take over a class um at the juvenile detention center, teaching um young women to cook over there uh, <laughs> sort of it was one of the places where they were on their way on, out and so I taught um girls there for a while to cook and
0: well, now what was that like that was that's interesting because you yeah, and are they wanting to learn? Is it, do they want to learn something so that they have a skill when they get out, or is it something they're sort of forced into?
2: Um, I'm not exactly sure. for For me, it was really it was really intense and pretty um, pretty rewarding. They were they were girls, and I think that there were it was less than ten of them. And I think it's after they had gotten out of Julie and they're living in a house at that point, a communal house, and sort of on their way. Um, out and they they gave the the facility that they gave me to teach in was actually the old um, juvenile hall I think and so it was a really weird sort of eerie place to work in but the girls were great because for them it was an opportunity to to do something different to cook and eat there was a garden there too so they had some gardening time that they worked with they worked with volunteers and then they would come they would cook with me in the kitchen and I think that it—I it, don't know—it it, the food itself, the cooking—it triggered lots of stuff for them. It was very intense because every once in a while a girl would just not show up, and I'd find out that she had run away. And um, so they were still; these girls were still very much in transition, and it was a kind of an intense time for them. And the the food and the cooking, it did, did get to them. There was, there was something going on there and I didn't do it for a long time because during that time is when I got hired at Sonoma Valley High. Um, but it was an experience.
0: Um, And were you living in Sebastopol this whole time?
2: No, I moved to, I moved to Petaluma after I sold my restaurant. Okay. I was living in Petaluma, working at the junior college, then working at, um, it's the facility that's out Highway 12. I don't know what that area is called out there where the Juvenile Detention Facility is. Oh,
1: Pythion? Pythion yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right out there. So
2: I'd go out yeah. there and run over. Um And then I taught at CASA for a while. I was a, um, one of the foods teachers at CASA in Petaluma. And then I got the full-time work in Sonoma um, back in 2013, I think.
0: Okay, so that's where I took my home ec class. Was I was a gaucho, um, okay. yeah. Okay. So I wonder if it was the same the same well, actual kitchen.
2: It it probably was. Who who was okay. your teacher?
0: I have no idea. I I wasn't the best um, student. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, so that's that was the track. So I actually never
2: thought I would be a teacher. In fact. I mean, although you can't, I mean, Sandra would Sandra would know this. Um, you can't have a restaurant without being a teacher. I mean, you're teaching all the time.
1: Right.
2: Um, yeah. And, but my father was a professor. He was a college professor. And I never, ever wanted to be a teacher. I mean, he, he never stopped teaching. It was, I mean, I mean, he 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 was, everything was a teaching moment for my father. <laughs> uh, it was very annoying, actually. Um, <laughs> Uh And so I was never going to be that person. I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, But this is where I ended up. And it it is a, it's a, it's a great job. It's a very, very rewarding job. I love my students. I love the freedom. I love that I'm teaching them to eat and cook. Mm -hmm. And And you- fend for themselves. Absolutely. Well, one of the, I mean, the question Brian had early on is like, What's my curriculum? What kind of a program is it? And, and, and I said, well, it's a different program than a lot of the ones around Sonoma, Sonoma County. And that and I think that's because, because our funding comes from career and technical ed, the focus of our program is really supposed to be getting students ready for the workforce, getting them ready to work. Um, I have a problem with that. Um, <laughs> I've always had a problem with it. And Brian, you also said something earlier about um, a liberal education, is that what you said? The, the, uh,
0: the liberal arts, yeah, Liberal arts.
2: And the problem is, is that although I think that art and photography and things, some of those different programs are still considered sort of liberal arts. I mean, they're just, there, you're not necessarily expected to like take a photography class and become a professional photographer
1: right
2: however our CTE classes which are career and technical ed they are meant to train to get people a head start in a career so if you take um a shop class or a building class it's meant to sort of like set you up a little bit better for going into the trades or if you take a metal class um you might learn how to use lathes and things like that so that you can then get a job. And the same thing with cooking. You take a a foods class or a culinary arts class and the expectation is that you will continue with that education or you will get a job. The difference, of course, is that we all eat and we all cook. And in my experience, um, except for some sort of cultural differences, our kids don't eat all that well. And they've are learning. They they've lost some of the exposure to cooking because everybody is so busy. Mm-hmm. And so somehow, and I'm not exactly sure, I mean, if you ask me why or how this happened, I, I, I don't think I could tell you, but I've built a really successful program. Um, I have way more kids signing up for my classes than I can take. And I teach six classes. Five classes is full-time and I teach six classes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, which is good for me because teachers don't, I mean, teachers money, it's the money's okay, but working 20% more, um, it is a little bit more livable. (laughs) Um, At any rate, I don't feel like, so at at 180 kids each year that I have for a year, because the foods, the cooking classes are year long. They're not just a semester. So I have these kids for a year. There is that small percentage that will go on to cook professionally. A lot of them will cook in cafes or restaurants or wait tables or something that's on their way, you know, through college or something like that. But, but, but they're coming to me with little or no experience cooking and their experience with food is also really limited. And so my whole, what I feel like I've been tasked with and which is, which is sort of my dilemma because my funding is coming from one direction but I have all these kids that I just need to get excited about food and cooking and, and who I want to stay excited. And I don't think that professional, professional cooking is for everybody. I mean, it's it's hard and it's exciting. And it's, I mean, there's all kinds of, it, it, it does attract a certain person, um, but I do have, I don't know, the, 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 the difficulty that I have sort of reconciling my philosophy about food and cooking with the expectation that I am creating workers. Right.
0: So. Yes, cause it's, you're sort of giving them a life skill as opposed to a, mm. a you know, a, a future in some sort of business. I mean, learning to cook is, it entails so much more than um, other things they're being taught. I mean, it's, and you incorporate a lot of things like history I mean when i learn about history through food i'm so much more excited than just learning history from a book
2: there, there's family history
0: too to it
2: i mean I, you i mean because we've got I mean, we have a fairly high well almost 50 plus latinx population mm. and then we have a few other cultures representative represent but everybody is coming to my classroom, their own sort of food or cultural, cultural history and they bring that. And um, they're excited to share it.
0: And do you guys have a garden there at the school too?
2: We have a whole ag program. And wow. one of the first things that I, there was always historically at, at Sonoma Valley there was, there was virtually no relationship between ag and culinary. And when I first started there in 2013, I started working on that. And we used to get, we had, the, the, ag has been going through a lot of their own issues over the last, I would say, five years, a lot of transition, a lot of changes. So, but we're back to sort of hopefully heading in that direction. But I used to get, they would raise a pig for my class. And then I would take kids to the, the harvest, as they call it. Um, I didn't make them go, but I invited them to it. And then we would bring the whole animal back and we would learn to butcher it and we would make sausage and we would do all kinds of things. Mm. They used to raise chickens for us. We would go out to the farm for the, the harvesting of the chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, would, we would, I used to teach, I haven't done this in a number of years, but I used to teach the kids how to clean the freshly harvested <laughs> chickens. Um, I and, I
1: still don't know how to do that. I've never done it. I've <laughs> never watched it. I've never watched it on TV. Oh. I,
2: it's all. It, it is all. It, it is intense. I mean, when you go. I mean, I'm not a farmer, and I have been exposed to that upon occasion throughout my life. But mostly, I place an order. I mean when I had the restaurant or whatever, I'd place an order, it would be delivered. And and then maybe whole birds or something, but they were all cleaned and you know right. everything. And so um and I I was used to breaking down, you know, large yeah, pieces, pieces so. like that. Um, but I think when you take kids, I mean we used to go out to the farm and we would visit the animals. So we would check out the pigs and we would check out the chickens and and then we would go to the the harvest, mm-hmm. polite way of saying the slaughter. Yeah. Um, and most of the kids were okay with the chickens. Um, not everybody would participate; they would just choose not to, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but only I would say when we did the pig, it, it happens off of um, off of the campus at a farm, and so not that i mean kids would come but i would say out of a 100 kids maybe 20 kids would come
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that's a, that's a, actually a big deal mm-hmm. um and getting them to appreciate that and appreciate the whole appreciate that process to the point where they are then cooking with this cooking this animal was a a, a great journey i mean it really and to see to see their the squeamishness of them in the beginning to I, I think in actual in a respect for what they're doing. When prior to my class, the closest they'd gotten to meat was probably, you know, a package styrofoam plastic. Yeah, or package yes, of that
1: was me for um, sure.
2: Yeah, you know, and, and my kids don't have a lot of experience with the farmer's market. They don't, you know, most of them are luckies and Safeways and, and mm-hmm. um, Snowman Market, things like that. So they do get an education when they, come to
1: me so i remember i think i think did something with sausages did you guys like have a sausage
2: we did was i a
1: judge for that i think i was a judge for. (laughs) i think so yeah
2: yeah We, we hooked up with one of the freshman um groups and so we were already doing the whole pig and doing things with it and i don't remember what the motivation for the freshman t- freshman team was but they decided to have a competition with um, researching recipes for how to use a whole pig or something and, and and come up with recipes for sausages and then the first the first cut was they submitted all of these sausage recipes to me all these freshmen and i was supposed to go through them and pick whichever ones i thought were were decent work. <laughs> and then and then my students the cooking students actually then made some of they picked recipes and we made these recipes and then we had a competition and the, and the tasting competition is I think what you came to and we invited professionals to come and check out the sausage and and give their assessment of it and and then there was like a winning recipe or something
1: yeah
2: that was I don't, what four years ago five
1: years ago. Is, easily yeah
0: and was there, like, sauces and stuff, or it was just based on the taste of the actual sausage? Just the sausage. Yeah, Okay. Just
1: the so- And different spices are different. They, they, they were all different sausages, different. different. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what's, like, you know, like, the curriculum through the year? I mean, you have to what, somewhat... What's the,
0: what's the setup of the classroom, just so I can sort of get a visual? Is it, like, a bunch of ovens and refrigerators and stoves and...
1: I don't know okay. what it is now. It's got a fancy <laughs> so, schmancy kitchen. Yeah, we
0: just
2: had a, we got a big grant a couple of years ago ah, and yeah. our 30 year old kitchens have been completely redone. Nice. But the basic model is still there. We have, I have six kitchens, wow. um, six stoves, six sinks, six places to work. And usually, and, and if, a, if a class is around 30 kids, I have um, six groups of five, so my students work in groups. Um, I don't have them selected chef and a sous chef and a dishwasher and whatever. I I actually leave it um, up to them how they. I mean, I keep them all busy. You know, I don't let some person, somebody, do nothing. But I do let them and the executive chef sort of organically, <laughs> sort of organically, sort of organically <laughs> form. That
1: was funny. I he said sorry, the executive sorry. chef is the I, one that was doing nothing.
0: That's the one with the with the clean chef's coat that you always see.
2: Uh, right. Um, I let the groups form sort of, I mean division of labor that happens sort of organically.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
2: moves around and it switches, and there's usually some kid that might end up in charge or somebody who has more experience and so they end up leaving a little bit more. But I I leave it to them and a typical day before COVID or a typical week. So a week for us, we have, we have long classes. We meet um, two and a half times a week. Our classes are 100 minutes long, mm-hmm. which is great for a cooking class. Mm-hmm. So usually the first day of the week, I'll introduce something. Um, we'll talk about it. Maybe I'll do some demonstration. Um, they'll come up with a plan of what they're going to do. And then Wednesday, it's just a short day. I think a normal Wednesday was a half, it's a half period. I think it's 45 minutes. So they would start to prep stuff on that second day. And then the third day of the week um, would be when it would all come together. And they would then get to finish what they were making and they would get to eat it.
1: I once came to a class where I had scrambled eggs. Okay <laughs> you had an egg class
2: we, could, we do a whole block on eggs and um, yeah, we do omelets and I teach them different kinds of omelets and how to flip eggs and that's a that's a hilarious class actually, which is really meant for my own entertainment <laughs> um, because it, it is fun to flip an egg, but what's that yeah. <laughs> works just as well. but it is pretty fun to see 30 kids trying to flip an egg. <laughs>
1: Do the kids stay in the same five in the same team the whole time, or do they switch around?
2: They generally stay in the same group. Um, a lot of times these kids don't know each other at all when they form the groups. And um, I will sort of nudge them in certain directions. And so that I end up with, with six equal groups. Um, cooking together, they, generally form some kind of a bond. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless there's a problem, I don't change them. Because mm-hmm. they end up actually really, it's it, it is fairly really, the connection that they seem to have sometimes continues.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: it is whether it has to do with food or cooking, I have no idea or just the sort of the casual feeling of the classroom, but they generally get attached to their groups.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so how are you conducting classes now since March?
2: Oh, terribly.
0: <laughs> yeah, it seems I like think, one of those classes that you, know, you really want to have hands on.
2: If you do want to have hands on, and it is really challenging. And the main challenge for me is actually that I can't require them to cook.
0: Huh.
2: Um, it's a cooking class where I can't make them cook. And the, the, the reason for that, it's a good reason, um, they they don't have equal access to kitchens, I mean, yeah. to groceries, yeah. um, I mean, materials. So, and whereas when I actually teach physically, um, they come into a cooking into a kitchen. It's set up for cooking. Mm-hmm. The whole setup is is timed so that they have time to clean up, and then they go on to their next class. In their own homes, by themselves. Um, they aren't necessarily going to be able to cook during class time and they may or may not be able to cook at any other time. So I encourage them to cook. I ask them to cook. I try to entice them to cook Mm -hmm. and some of them do. And it's really exciting because I have them documented and they either do it just in photographs and put them on a website or they, um, make videos and the videos are great because we've also we also talk about video editing a little bit and some of them have video classes and so Mm -hmm. they can take you know an hour-long cooking project and condense it down into like a three-minute video with me and they like Mm -hmm. to put music to it and stuff and those are those are really fun for me to see but mostly what I've been doing is trying to engage them in projects that they might want to do or might be able to do and what I've done I originally started out trying to make videos myself of, you know of my kitchen and me and my kitchen and stuff but not being a professional and having limited time I found that there are so many good sources on the internet mm-hmm. of people who are just they're making all kinds of so for for example we we were doing holiday cookies and I made a batch of cookies, and I documented my own project. But there were great, informative, great, entertaining—you know—all kinds of videos out there. So what I did is I put together a, a series of videos for them to watch. Some of them just to entertain them, some of them that really taught them something, mm-hmm. um, and other ones that I felt had really good recipes. And so I would sort of like draw their attention to this: is this one's for fun? This one is teaching you technique. This one has a recipe that I've tried and I think works really well. And so we talk a little bit, but mostly they, um, I present them with a project. I give them a s- series of different videos to educate them. And then, and then I actually give them time to cook. Some of them use it, some of them use it, the time for other classes, other homework, things like that, or to catch up with stuff in my class. But it is, it's, it's, not, it's not fun. No,
0: it, it, yeah. Well, and it yeah. seems like it's it would be the perfect time for them to actually be cooking at home. I mean, everyone's got these, you know, everyone's doing like sourdough now or starting to make right. kimchi or kombucha. You know, people are getting these projects because they actually are spending so much more time at home. So yeah. it's a shame that they actually have this time at home. Um, it would be, it would be so cool if you could, Somehow have them, yeah, set up their cameras in their kitchens and 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 watch them cooking. It would be amazing. But
2: it
1: would be. but and, and the and liability so- though, like sending, telling these kids that they have to cook. God forbid they burn down their families. <laughs> well. house. There, there is that.
2: There is that. And I think if I had if I had one class,
1: mm-hmm.
2: say you know every day at three o'clock we meet this one class. I could do a I could do a cooking you know educate uh, we could all meet in the kitchen I could be in my kitchen I could have my camera set up they could be in their kitchens and we could all cook together and it would be all you know cooking, cooking dinner or something for their family but because it's at all you know all different times of the day you know from morning until two twenty, um it just it's not conducive to that and some of the kids definitely do cook I and mean, I do get great projects from them and Mm-hmm. Great photos and, and it's and whatever project we happen to be working on, that is what they're cooking out of. And then and then I'll give them credit for any cooking. I like document it, send me pictures, you know, give me a little assessment of how it came out, and I give them credit for it. So at, at this point, really the goal is is like you say, to get them cooking. Um but it's I think it's the first thing that goes with all of the other stresses of their of their classes and stuff. The first thing that they, I mean, maybe they started out motivated, but the first thing to go is like spending time cooking and cleaning. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's such a bummer.
0: I know because a lot of these kids are, are growing up. There's so much content out there for them to watch. My daughter is 12 and, and she's been watching, you know, the kids baking challenge. And Sondra and I were just talking about, uh, before we came on, about uh, Guy's grocery games the other day. He had 12 to 14 year old kids and I was completely blown away by the, the, some of their skills and the, the recipes that they came up with were like advanced for, for adults, right. um, yeah. let alone kids. But they, my daughter's like that too. She'll see something either on YouTube or, or on the cooking channel, and then she'll, it gives her inspiration to then go and make something in the kitchen.
2: Right, and, and, and my kid is the same way. My, my son is, fifth. I have two sons, and I have a 15-year-old who's really, really into cooking. Mm-hmm. and he can't believe that my students don't want to cook. He's like that's the yeah. best thing in the world. It's like that's what I would if that's all I had to do for a grade, if that's what I'd be doing. And and so he is always cooking, but but I think for a lot of these kids, especially the juniors and seniors, they and and most of my students I think actually are seniors. Um they really are feeling the stress of distance learning.
1: horrible for them. And,
2: and so yeah. so where they would be excited to cook certainly in my class and maybe they do some cooking at home it's it's Mm -hmm. it's challenging for them
1: have you been able to find a way to like if you were able to distribute ingredients for certain recipes um i know probably the school doesn't necessarily have the funding for that but um I mean, maybe that would be one thing if you're able to give them like, here's your mise en place. Um,
2: Actually, we, we talked about ways to do that. And the way that, that I came up with, with the help of, of Wendy Swanson at work um, at school was to ask um, grocery stores for gift certificates mm. that, you know, in small increments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could then hand them out. It's it's hard to it's hard to put actual ingredients in the hands of students, you know, right. the whole process of, of whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But and I have to I have to say that Sonoma Market um has so far been the most generous. They they gave us I, They're local. I can't remember right now, but they gave us a, they gave us, I, I think we asked for um Ten dollar gift certificates or something, and they gave us enough for my hundred and eighty kids.
1: Wow.
2: wow! So they were not, really not Oliver's,
1: huh? No. Oliver's didn't chip in.
2: Um, we didn't ask Oliver's. <laughs> um,
1: we, <laughs> oh,
2: we approached all the we approached all the local grocery stores, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think Wendy's still negotiating with them, you know, to see what they can do and what the best way is to do it. Mm-hmm. What you know, some of them wanted to do just discounts or things like that. Mm-hmm. But Really what I needed to do was like put money in the hands of my kids, give them a project and then say, and then say, go and buy this. Um,
1: Think about also like some of the guests that we've had on the show. Like, I feel like, you know, if Steve Sando was in front of a camera in front of these kids and, you know, they had access to his beans or Deb Rock with her hot sauce, you know um you know like these small makers that you know have come through but it is hard it's like you know trying to motivate kids in a normal time is, is one thing and then trying to motivate them when they're stuck at home and they can't see their friends and they can't date and whatever or they're not supposed to do all this stuff I just yeah like what how do you turn them on you know get them excited it's hard
2: yeah well I'm sure that just thinking about some of the people that you've had on your show, even you know a a, a recorded cooking session with one of you know one of the yeah be excited them because then it's also a local connection too. It's like mm-hmm. oh, there's somebody from my community that I'm watching who has a restaurant or something.
1: Yeah,
2: and I'm watching them prepare a, a dish. Mm-hmm. Just doing that logistically is you know can be challenging.
0: Yeah. Well, and the tools, Sandra. I mean, think about. You know, some of these kids maybe don't have um, all-clad. You know, yeah. You know, restaurant-grade um, right. pans, and then you know, what kind of knives are they? Mm-hmm. Do they have at the home and cutting yeah. boards? You know, different safety boards—one for mm-hmm. cutting meat and one for you know vegetables—and yeah. I right. mean, all that stuff is is important, and you know, not everyone has access to that mm-hmm. stuff.
2: Right. We we started out early in in the very beginning of the year. I actually had them take me around their kitchen and you know, oh. with, a video, you know with their phones, you know, they mm-hmm. like, here's, our, here's my stove, here's the kind of knives we have, here's pots and pans that we have. So that then I had sort of a place to start with them. Right. And, and instead of like everybody having a chef's knife and a paring knife and a slicer or whatever, I was like, okay, I'm gonna teach you, if, if this is the only knife you have, if all you have is a paring knife, I'm gonna show you how we can do anything with that knife. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not being able to be a good cook is not dependent on your equipment. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I have one uh, little paring knife that's serrated that I use for, you know, 90% of things that I do in the kitchen. I have one too.
1: Mine is like this big. And it's, I hate to say this, but the the blade is so rusty. But. well, it's not, I don't think it's real rust, like rust that could hurt me, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really fabulous knife. Like the blade stays and yeah. yeah. Um, well, so the other thing, there's a couple other things that you have been in the middle of, and that is, I know we worked with you in, in a roundabout way during the fires. Right. So you, the the high school was a evacuation center, mm-hmm. and so you cooked for all those people.
2: I didn't cook for all those people. I think that, um, if I recall, we went in a few times, and I had I got some volunteers, and we just we put out some kind of food. I think it was for the people working actually.
1: Okay, because uh-huh. I know we delivered food mm-hmm. um, there a handful of times, um, but even in the very beginning, I remember trying to drop off food there and they turned us away because there were so many people trying to drop off food at, uh-huh. the, at the evacuation centers. I... They were like, this is just gonna go to waste. You have to go somewhere else. Right. But so, um, yeah. so what
2: we were doing was we were, some of my volunteers and I, and I got kids to come in and help, which was really cool is we were doing food and we would stage it in the culinary area for people who were working and helping out. So they, they could come in, they could take a break, they could get a mm-hmm. cup of coffee, they could have you know, a snack or something like that. So I think that's, that was what we were doing back during the fires.
1: Mm-hmm. And then when COVID start, were you doing the lunches for the kids? No, no. who was that?
2: I, That was all of the um, the food people, the um, the cafeteria people.
1: Okay, so wow, huh? Yeah, it's interesting.
0: I remember that, Sandra. When I remember how many people were dropping off food, and what was interesting is some of them, you could tell it was for their Instagram feeds. They would would pull up in their, you know, Land Rover out front and say we've got all this stuff from Costco and the whole time their friend is snapping their pictures of them, which, you know what, we took it, we were happy to get it. it.
1: I mean, and that's funny too because it's like such a different, you know, here we had two, we have two very major emergencies in our community and in our lives. And one where, um, you know, we were really able to help during the fires. You know, really right. able to bring people together. You know, we bonded to through food. We bonded through helping. And now COVID just keeps everybody apart. Yeah. It's and <laughs> yeah, it's it's that has been a really hard thing for me because we really have not found the way. Um, nor the cooperation really to make something happen um, with that. So that's, that's been kind of hard. hard.
2: Yeah, it's hard yeah. to be separated from everybody. It really mm-hmm.
0: is. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan, when do you anticipate um, going back to in-person uh, learning?
2: I don't actually think it's gonna happen until next year. I mean, until the, the, the new school year and the 21, 2020. Yeah.
1: People percent. are saying March.
2: Yeah, they're talking about a hybrid model in March.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'll believe it if I, if I, I mean, if it happens.
1: Yeah, great.
2: I mean, there are a lot of people who are really concerned about going back that soon.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's hard to say what's gonna be the right choice.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you I-
0: have, You have schools in Sonoma that, that are, I mean, until just recently, have continued to do in-person learning. I think, what is it, I presentation or- it pres- I think
1: they're still I think they're still there. Montessori.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, presentation went, they were, they didn't continue. But they did um, go back, I think, um, maybe a month or so, six weeks or so before this mm-hmm. the break. Right. They've been, you know, and they've had their issues. They've had, you know, people yeah. get sick and whatever.
0: But I imagine they're they're probably smaller schools, too, than Sonoma Valley. Well, they're
2: private schools. Yeah.
1: And the funding is certainly different. And the parents...
2: Yeah, I'm sure there's really pressure. Different. when When you're... Actually, paying, you know, yeah. they're not giving they're not giving you your money back. They're right, you know, um, right. and I, I think it is really challenging for lots of families to, to have everybody at home. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I mean, yeah, I know for our staff, you know, people that have, um, you know, had to come to work, and you know, here we have two parents that are both working, and if they still are able to go to their job, you know, now their kids are home. You know unsupervised or you know the parent stays home and then they're not going to get paid and you know trying to keep them you know on these classes instead of you know on the games you know or on websites they shouldn't be on or whatever it's uh, I, i
2: i feel very very lucky that that I do still have a job that I'm able, I I do, I go in sometimes, but more often than not, I've stayed at home to work. And Mm -hmm. I have a kid who is also doing distance learning. And so
1: he's in the next room
2: taking his classes and and I'm here to sort of like be available if needed. And
1: Mm -hmm. um,
2: I teach my classes and um, try to connect with these kids, try to give them a little bit of support and, how about, the day?
1: Are you teaching them about social media food and picture, you know, stuff like that with with photo, you know, taking pictures of food and I,
2: I haven't taught them much about it. I have made available to them editing um, programs. Mm-hmm. And stuff. But yeah, um, no, that'd be a good connection, actually, to make with some of the other teachers.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I do think as this world keeps you know more and more social media and more conversation and more content going out um yeah like what would get people excited I don't I don't know Sandra,
0: don't don't start creating more I'm food thinking, bloggers about,
1: <laughs> I am I'm thinking about interns I'm thinking about I always try the kids at high school but um what Oh, shoot, I forgot what I was going to ask. Well, I'm excited to see the new kitchen Yeah. in um, when, when that time. I bet. I bet you just <laughs> want to break it in. And I'm sure the school was like, oh, my God, we just spent all that money. And it's just sitting there. Every,
0: you know, everyone's doing that. Everyone's Everyone that spent money on, you know, new facilities and new, you know, the Warriors, even our basketball team, you know, built that yeah. beautiful new and it's just sitting there. Um, doing nothing I mean everyone's in the same boat
1: yeah
0: Yeah. I'm, well, glad, do you...
2: I'm glad I didn't start a restaurant right at this time
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. we know some How, of those people <laughs> yeah How, do you miss the restaurant business at all
2: I do I'm nostalgic about it a lot um, mm-hmm. much less so this past nine months <laughs> really
1: I can't imagine why oh um,
2: but we got, we
1: got good news yesterday and, you know, PPP funding is going to come back. And so I don't think it's going to be helpful for the school right now because they're not doing much government, like state and government stuff yet. But I think once yeah. Biden gets in, they'll start adding to it. Yeah. Um, but it, what a relief last night. I mean, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know that there's help coming. And so that's like, so huge. Yeah.
2: So I do, I do miss it. Um, my kids miss it. Mm-hmm. They would now have jobs there if I still had a mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. um, They wish that they could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, you know, it's a hard life. It's mm-hmm. a really hard life. <laughs> and certainly teaching is a more dependable paycheck.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it's much less stressful.
1: Yeah, than owning a restaurant,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have um, the ability to connect to my students, even if it is on, you know, through Zoom. Mm -hmm. And so, although I miss it at times, I think the last time I actually seriously thought about it was maybe right before I got the job working at Summer Valley High. There was a building that I was really attracted to, and I was like, (laughs) had this whole vision going. And my friends were like, really? Really, <laughs> are you gonna do that again? <laughs> so I mean, and I think that the restaurant in Sebastopol was very successful. Um, maybe not financially so much, but um, I still run into people who are like, "Oh, we miss you know Lucy's or whatever." And I remember that dish, and I'm like, I don't remember that dish. How do you remember it? That was you know, I, I sold it more than well, I sold it ten years ago. Yeah. Like that. well and what, what what was the
0: what was the signature dish of the restaurant being that you were going after Zuni I'm thinking <laughs> it's <laughs> gonna be chicken but <laughs>
2: um, I, well I mean so with the two ovens set up the the oven sort of closest to the the outside was actually set up as a pizza station mm-hmm. and and it was a really cool oven, actually. It wasn't it was an Alan Scott design, but I had it open on both sides. So oh, wow. one side was like open onto a bakery where we did all bake and stuff, and then that would get shut down. And then the other side was open to the pizza station. And mm. and so I mean I would say that probably our pizzas were a signature. Um, and then and then the second oven was on the hotline. And yeah, we would throw in chickens and throw in pork chops and throw in, you know. Steaks that might get started on the grill would finish up with the fire and mm-hmm. uh, we would do whole fish. Do so, but I think signature wise would probably be our pizzas because that was sort of like front and mm. right there. And they were good too.
1: I bet, I bet.
0: <laughs> yeah, wood-burning so, oven is, what do you is, is make always home? the best. No, so Sandra, that's, that's, we'll do, let's do go-to dish. So Jonathan, you're, you're at home and there's, you know, there's, there's this one thing that you cook that is your, sort of like your go-to thing. There's no recipe for it. It's just, you got this thing down to a science and you know that everyone's gonna be happy eating it. What would it be?
2: <laughs> That's such a good question. And I have to, I have to say that um, that I'm, I'm gonna address the down to a science sort of go-to type of cooking that makes my younger 15 year old cooks cooking son really frustrated because um, I think, where am I going with this? I think that my cooking no longer, I don't cook with recipes anymore. I still bake with recipes, mm-hmm. um, but as far as, as um, cooking at the stove, cooking dinner things like that, it's whatever sort of like, whatever hits me in the moment, whatever, when I happen to be at the store, or I'll ask my kids, what do they want for dinner? I'll come home and, and I, my 15 year old's always watching. And then when he's cooking, he's, he, he wants to know, I mean, he's cooking from recipes he's like, well, what do I do now? Or how do I do this? Whatever. And, and nine times out of 10, I'm like, I don't know <laughs> how much of this do I put in there, dad? I don't know. And, and it's not and he gets really mad at me. He gets really frustrated. And, and I was like, well, what I'm actually doing when I when I sit down and, and I analyze and I think about with my own students, because my stu- I get this questions from my students a lot too like, what do we do now? What do we do now? What do we do now? And, and I'm, I, I rarely give them the answer. And it's more or less intentional, because I'm actually, I'm, I'm raising a thinking cook but I'm also teaching my students to be thinking cooks. Mm -hmm. And so it starts out with following a recipe, but it's not just following the recipe. They actually have to understand what they're doing. And so if they're adding something or there's this much liquid or this much dry ingredient or whatever, it's like, okay, sure you have something that says a cup or it says eight ounces, but, but why? And if you don't have that, how are you gonna change it? And if you're going for a certain outcome, how do you achieve that? And so, so I imagine I'm a very frustrating teacher, um, both <laughs> to my own, to my son, but also to my students, because I don't really give them the answers. Yeah. And although, you know, Sondra mentioned this when she was talking to my students in a in a restaurant, you want the dish to come out exactly the same each time. And you might have multiple cooks and you don't really want it to be dependent on one one really good cook. You want everybody to, to be able to reproduce what that really good cook can do. Mm-hmm. And so they do need to work from recipes and you want something to be the same when they come, when a customer comes in now as when they come in next week or the week after that. Um, mm-hmm. But at home and with my students, I really am trying to get them to understand to think about what they're doing and not to just follow that recipe.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so when you ask me what my go-to dish is, um, um, I'm I'm not sure. It depends what I it depends what I see the, I the store yeah. or what's in the fridge. Um, you know when I when I first started cooking, I was a lunch cook at Beowulf in Oakland, and we got all of the junk. We got not the junk, but we got the leftovers. It was our job to yeah. use stuff up. And so I'm not, I'm actually not a great, um, original cook. I don't, I don't, um, I'm not really good with a blank canvas, hmm. but I am really good with give me, you know, I've got this, and I've got that, and I've got that, and I've got this, um,
1: then I'm really good. I think that's really more important, frankly, um, you know, just on the levels of waste and um, feeding more people rather than less people. And I, I think, you know, creativity is great, but I don't, I don't know that anybody can really create something that's brand new that someone hasn't
2: done already. Oh, yeah, I agree with that.
0: Yeah. Well, but I drive my wife crazy, though, because I cook like that. You know, if I don't have carrots, I'm like, oh, I have sweet potato or, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have garlic, but I have ginger or lemongrass or something. The problem is, though, that then when she likes when I make something, the next time I make it, she, she. Has the expectation of it tasting the exact same. And if I'm using different things and it doesn't, then she's almost like disappointed in a way. Right,
2: right. <laughs> yeah. well, I think that's my my kids' frustration with trying to reproduce something that I made because I don't write it down. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, this goes way back to, I mean, my mother used to complain about my grandmother, um, my father's mother, mm-hmm. um, who I guess was a really good cook. I knew her when I was, I mean, I don't remember her because I was very young, but I guess she was a really good cook. And so, but she was a um, intuitive cook. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't, wasn't cooking from recipes. And so my mother would follow her because my father wanted the things that his mother would make. My mother would follow her mother-in-law around the, you know, around the kitchen, uh-huh. things down because it was just, it was, that's, yeah, it was an understanding of taste and an understanding of textures and, mm-hmm. and everything else. And what what works and what doesn't and what you can replace. and. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking on two things about that. One is that I think there's a disconnect to some degree of having that hand-me-down recipes now to the kids, you know, probably that you're teaching. I think, you know, as more moms went to work, um, some of the, you know, I think there, there's a gap there. And the other part I was thinking is that there are some really good cookbooks that are coming out now that are less about recipe and more about intuitive cooking. And I think those are, you know, that's a good way to be going.
2: That was a really quick hour, I have to say.
1: I know, I know, we could go on and on.
0: Sandra, isn't there, I, I think I've seen this before. I think there's a website where you can enter ingredients that are in your pantry and or refrigerator and then it calculates and then gives you recipes based or on those text, ingredients
1: or you can text somewhere
0: i I, forget have seen what that it before.
1: Is. I think you can and like you go i have this this and this and they yeah. tell you the things you can make right yeah i don't know we should probably find out and let people know <laughs> what that actually is
2: yeah, But I don't, um, I don't know that that takes out the whole imagination part
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, my go-to dish, well, okay, actually I have a really quick thing is that, um, you know, it's holiday cookie time. So um what a disaster. You are are you about to show us a plate of your cookies? Um oh, these yeah.
0: these ones are unfrosted because there's okay. one person in the family that doesn't like the frosting. So
1: Okay. But
0: Maria so, made bark and fudge and oh rocky road and cookies I yesterday. Know. I've yeah. just
1: had I've just had enough sugar over the last 2 days that would be like eight months worth of sugar. But, um, I ordered a box of Resi was doing the reservation app thing was doing this, um, 12 days of cookies or whatever. And it was a fundraiser. They got 12 or 10. She- I don't know. They got a bunch of chefs to each make their signature cookie. And you got one, you got 12 cookies, one cookie from each of these chefs. Alice Waters was wow. in it. Jose Andres was in it. Um, Nina Compton and you know what? Our cookies are better than every cookie I tasted. I like tasted every single cookie and I'm just like, I was like totally obsessed getting this box of cookies. And I was just like, wow, my neighbor dropped off cookies yesterday. Her cookies were better than all those cookies. So I think it's like mass production Mm-hmm. And shipping and plastic and blah, blah, blah. But, um, anyway, this is fun. I know. Um, I know, Brian, you're crazy busy and um, I
0: know. And Jonathan, are you are you on Christmas break? Yeah, we're
2: on break now starting okay. today.
1: Okay, yeah. oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, uh, baking to a break do. on top of a break. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> my my son has been baking lots and lots and lots of shortbread, but they don't they don't stick around. I got uh, him to make yeah. I got him to make some almond shortbread with um, chocolate chunks, them the other day they were some of the best cookies I've ever wow. had. they were really good. Wow. They didn't last. Yeah, no, that's
1: amazing. I love shortbread cookies, actually. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Really nice. not frosty. Yeah. The taco ones that was, just a tiny bit of salt on the top, oh, oh, they were really perfect.
0: good. Very, very good. Yeah. Yeah, Sandra, um, how did your big cookie project come I mean, I know you guys were, we're making still thousands, thousands of cookies. crazy
1: amounts yeah. of cookies. Crazy, okay. crazy. Um, I don't know if you ever went to Chris Bake Shop when it was in Sonoma. It's not that, it's, it was off of Napa Street and 7th um but andrea who opened that bakery was our catering director and then she went and opened her bakery and then sold her bakery and she's back and so since all this covid she's back in the kitchen baking all these cookies i mean and it's insane it's insane the amount of cookies people are buying so um whatever we can sell right you yep. know <laughs> people buy i know the
0: girl in the fig is selling selling cookies no, and ramen
1: cookies and, and slush yeah nothing is normal
0: if <laughs> you pivoted who several have, times
2: who would have ever guessed
1: yeah exactly
2: <laughs> exactly
1: yeah. uh well happy right. happy holidays and right. um we'll have to have you back on again when things are back in the swing of things all right. um hopefully okay. sooner than later for all of us
2: yeah open so yeah. yeah, to get back to something like normal.
0: Yeah.
1: Anything.
0: Yeah, we're getting close.
2: Yeah. yeah. Closer.
0: Yeah. Closer. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan.
2: Thank yeah. you. Very nice yeah, so... Very nice to be here. Very nice speaking with you
1: both. Yeah, it's very All fun.
0: right, for all you listeners out there, you can uh, go to our website, thebikegoeson.com, check out some of the content there. Got some great shows on there. We've done some really good shows lately and, and more coming up. And you can also go to radiomisfits.com/backslash/the bike goes on. And we love hearing from you. Give us a review. Give us a five-star review. And check us out on all of your podcast platforms. Sandra, Jonathan, happy holidays to you. Happy
1: holidays.